Personally, I'm offended at the lack of cats murdering people in this movie. I'm Nato Kitch, it's Gay for Pay Month, and welcome to violence on a very special episode of the Gay Arnicus Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association. This week we look at Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, a movie that is maybe not for cats. And that's because not everyone is a cat person, so I asked my friends what household animal-specific exploitation films they suggest as alternatives. First up, you can find them at the nudist colony of the dead. It's great. <laughs> hey, everyone. So, I was watching this movie recently called Dormouse Revenge. It's about your all-American housewife who goes to a reading of the vagina monologue and realizes that she hates everything <laughs> and kills the entire neighborhood. Amazing. <laughs> And you can find me at the Near on TikTok. That's slightly uh, like Cer- John Waters' serial mom, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it for sure. Now, next up, Atlas may have shrugged, but they'll give you a oh, me. No. It's Ro. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Ro, and I'm here today to pitch you a movie called Gone to the Birds. A movie about two women who drive through a small town killing husbands and recruiting their wives to join them in their sex cult out in the middle of the desert. (laughs) This also sounds like a John Waters movie. Uh, (laughs) Last but never least, she'll have none of that. It's Amelia. Oh, God. (laughs) Hello. Uh... Hello, hello, everyone. Um, it's funny you should mention Birds Row, because have I got a doozy of a movie pitch for you. Um, imagine, if you will, the 1950s. Okay. <laughs> Birds have began to attack a small town. Actresses are getting exploited, thinking they're going to be dealing with mechanical birds, but instead it's real live birds. <laughs> Is this just the production of the birds? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to know more about my definitely original and not a slight shade that I'm throwing at Alfred Hitchcock movie, uh, I can be found at the Nefarious Navigator on Instagram. (laughs) A little surprised no one did slower turtle turtle maim maim. Uh, content warning. We were violence. saving that one for you. <laughs> yes. Content warning, violent sexual assault, de- uh, derogatory language, and other shocking elements. This is a cult film. Uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is an extremely influential, debatably feminist cult film that follows three go-go girls, Varla, Rosie, and Billy, who love them some fast cars and emasculating men as they end up murdering a guy named Tommy and kidnapping his girlfriend before hearing about a fortune they can't help but take a stab at getting. That's a joke for later. Uh, Ro gets it. (laughs) Will they end up (laughs) with riches and more, or end up like a cat in water? We're going to find out, which means we're about to board the spoiler boat. So if you haven't seen this movie and want to, now's your chance to do it. Toot toot. So, uh, (laughs) did this movie movie, uh, thrill thrill ya? Yeah, consider me thrill thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as the opening credits begin and you hear... Welcome to violence. I'm like, okay, sold. Let's get some <laughs> violence going. 
I was all in for this movie until the Hayes Code decided to insert itself with the soon-to-be-dead boyfriend and the all-American has-to-survive-the-movie girlfriend. <laughs> it was still fun, but I wanted the lesbian exploitation that rumor had told me it was and not what it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, this was definitely very, like, I think, early like exploitation before it got super overtly sexual um because you know i've seen like some later stuff like uh i think a lot of like those particular there was like, like a whole thing with lesbian vampires and like italian exploitation films uh yes. that really amp up the like you know sapphic vibes <laughs> very I unambiguously i think it's lesploitation I'm, I'm sorry, lesploitation. I'm actually being serious. I think that's the term that they use. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, this felt a lot more like PG male fantasy. Like, oh, the girlies are rolling around in the dirt and fighting each other again in their skimpy clothes. Let's watch. And now someone is dead, oh Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> The most tame murder scene I've seen in a while. Although the cracking through the shoulder blades was pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> oh, that this brings up an interesting question when it comes to the lack of sort of representation of lesbians. Uh, out of curiosity, why do y'all think we're watching this film? Because it's gay for pay month. I mean, like... this is the only time we can. <laughs> I mean, specifically this film, though. Well, wasn't I mean, this kind of like the first one that that started off like this, or one of the first ones that started off like this kind of lesploitation, like sexploitation? Yeah. Um, when did this movie come out? It feels like it's towing the line to as close to portraying lesbians as they could get away with, but like the like I said, Hayes Code was really in effect at the time. This is nineteen sixty five. Hayes Code ended in sixty eight, so this was like right yeah. but it was already on its way out. Um but this was like right around like the end of the era for the Hayes Code. And right around yeah. the time the MPAA kind of took over. You mm -hmm. could show girls in bikinis, but God forbid two women look at each other lustfully. <laughs> <laughs> you get moments of them looking at each other lustfully, but then mm -hmm. the very next scene, they're giving each other uh, the stink eye because they hate each other again. Man, yeah. that I rolling mean, around we... in the dirt was just like super gay at the beginning. <laughs> yes, As it was. As we all know... Two women cannot be real friends with each other. We are always frenemies, all right? <laughs> also, yes, as are. everybody knows, if you give somebody the stink eye and say, man, I really hate your guts, then it automatically cancels out any sexual frustration between the two of you. <laughs> exactly. So, we've watched kind of pseudo-cult films on this on this podcast before and i'm sure amelia has seen a lot more on pure flicks uh, <laughs> uh 
this film has a lot of influence uh, with directors like John Waters, who said it was his favorite film. Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino obviously kind of did an entire homage to this film with uh, his grindhouse half called Death Proof, mm-hmm. which famously for everyone, and everyone knows this fun fact, my dad called me about an hour and a half into the grindhouse uh, in the theater and asked me if the movie was over, and I got kicked out so I couldn't finish uh, Planet Terror um, until later. Um, how do you think this film kind of owns its cult reputation? Because Russ Myers was already known sort of like as a cult. I mean, I think it's kind of iconic, right? In the, in the way that a lot of cult films are, um, granted this was my first time ever watching it, but like I had heard of it before, um, as someone that, you know, is like an avid cult movie, I guess aficionado, if you could call it that, but you know, I've definitely like heard about this movie. Um, Asphyxianato think... is that when you watch <laughs> is that when you watch cult <laughs> movies until you actually choke? <laughs> yes, that is actually why I watch all the Netflix films that I like to watch. So I'm curious, as someone who's not like super well versed in cult movies, like what is it that you see in this movie that's like an obvious takeaway? that, like, later movies, like, pulled from it? I mean, I think the campiness is probably, like, the the shining star of this, right? Yeah. Because oh, not taking absolutely. itself... To, <laughs> not taking itself too seriously. Tura Satana is just, like, literally shouting half of her lines. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, the dialogue in this movie feels really punchy. Even, yeah. like, even the like vegetable... Like, throat punchy, yeah. Yeah, yes. like, even the vegetable with his, like, really slow cadence has, like, really, like, like, like here, you can have your knife back, kind of, <laughs> stab, stab. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, like, everything feels really punchy. And a lot of that probably has to do with the director, Russ Meyer. So let's get into him for just a second. Um, he was kind of known for these films, like I said. Like, uh, um, but also he was known for directing Beyond the Valley of the, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, uh, which was written by Roger Ebert. Uh, Meyer and Ebert collaborated on a few other projects, including Up, not the Pixar one. Um, and they were also working on a film that featured the Sex Pistols that never got made called Who Killed Bambi? Um, I kind of find it fascinating that, like, one of the most famous critics was also, like, close with this controversial director that maybe was the verses or maybe was just a sub or both. <laughs> it kind of gives him a bit of credence, right? Like, you know when he moves into his movie reviewing days that he knows of what he speaks because he's had his hands in like actual <laughs> grindhouse films I think Ebert already was a reviewer because I think he reviewed some of Russ's earlier works interesting yeah I don't know I I didn't know until about 30 seconds ago that Robert Sure Ebert ever made a screenplay, so <laughs> still kind of absorbing that information. You think he's like the food critic from Chef just walks into a film and he's like, this tastes like shit! 
<laughs> and then gets paid like fifty thousand dollars. I don't think it was that much. <laughs> okay, but I love that movie, Chef. <laughs> um, at the time, this film was originally seen as softcore porn, exploitation, hmm. all kinds of like sort of like uh, cheap entertainment. Um, but starting around the 90s, it's been reevaluated as more of like a feminist cult film. Um, and yes, I have been to a shadow cast of this film in Austin. That was fun. Uh, so what do y'all think? Is this smut or what? I mean, the male gaze, especially in that opening scene, is incredibly obvious. Very. Like, just them rolling around fighting in the sand of the desert lake. Just like, yeah, no, that was obviously made for male gaze enjoyment. But, like, them taking the road into their own hands and, like, being like, fuck male society, we're gonna murder our way into enjoying our own life is a bit of a feminist uh, narrative. So, I can see. I think it's... I think, too, the male gaze is so overly apparent in this movie, it, like, parodies itself in the end. It really does. Like, it's <laughs> over the top. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking to about. I don't, Let me try that again. I don't know what you're talking about. Every female friend group that I know has one blonde, one woman with a quote-unquote exotic accent, and one woman who only knows how to yell. Oh, yes, back when Italians were still considered exotic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to step in here real fast and just, like, formally disagree with the Mel Gay's comment. There were obviously no gay men in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gay's, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, I kind of, like love that and it feels like rare especially for like the 60s from what i've seen for like women to be you know mean especially like two men Mm -hmm. and be like the our main characters because we watched some like it hot last week there certainly were no like really mean women in that except for like the conductor uh but she was just like strict not really mean yeah as much as i like some like it hot I didn't really come away from that movie thinking, gee, I wish every main character in this movie would line up and step on me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Just Jack Lemmon, right? <laughs> no, but I think, I think also, like, comparing it to some like it hot, I think the way that the women's sexuality is dealt with is very different. Where in some like it hot, like, yes, we see Marilyn Monroe, I think, on top of Jack Lemmon, John Lemon, Jack, Jack Lemon, Jack Lemon. Oh my God! I thought it was John Lennon for a second. <laughs> my brain farted. Um, that would be a completely yeah. different film. A, a very terrible person. <laughs> Just let the record show. <laughs> but um, although no. his British accent would have been a lot more believable. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Um, but yeah, like even though we see Marilyn Monroe on top of Jack Lemon, like making out with him in this movie, like she hasn't. Like, she's not really taking control of her own sexuality, you know? Like, she's getting tricked 
into sleeping with this guy, essentially. Whereas in this one, it's like the women are very much the ones in control of like, you know, who they're having sex with, who they're like choosing to engage with. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. It feels like it was supposed to be coded as them taking control of their sexuality is uh, obvious, marking them as being quote-unquote evil and bad women, but, like, it's very refreshing to see, like, a movie of that era where in basically every single sexual encounter, the women are uh, in control of it and the mm-hmm. ones pursuing. Which is why this is all... This is a very confusing movie when it comes to saying, like, definitively if it's, like, feminist or not. <laughs> It's like, I think the best thing I've ever seen, like, described it as is accidentally feminist, which I think is kind of fitting. Um, But probably one of the strongest and one of you aggressive uh, actresses um, that we've seen, and that's also in this movie, is how do you say, is it Tura Satana? Yeah, I think so. Um, Who played Varla and I just for the record, like I freaking love her name so much that uh, when it came to making my little dumb cult film, Womb Raiders, I stole the name Varla for my main character. So tell me a little bit about Varla and why she is unlike any main character we've seen so far in our films. I mean, She's I think amazing. F- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I love how like she's just takes them in by the balls and just, like, does what she wants and literally yells every single line at every single character and goes from (laughs) bitch face doing nothing to yelling at every single person on the scene and chews everything up. Like, I love it. (laughs) I think especially when you take into account uh, Hollywood and media depictions of Asian women in particular as being, like, subservient and meek, uh, and not sexual, um, mm-hmm. and innocent, and like all these like you know stereotypes and tropes you have about Asian women, specifically in the media. Seeing not just one but two Asian women, <coughs> I know we're talking about Varla, but uh, in these like more powerful, like not at all by any stretch of the imagination, docile roles, um, you know, I think is unlike a lot of movies even today. Even as we start progressing into, you know, greater depictions of like my marginalized groups um, is something that still I think hasn't really caught up. So I think in that sense, she's very much unlike any character that we've seen. It should also be mentioned that Satana improvised some of the most iconic lines in this movie. And Myers has described the film as she and I made the movie. Um, Myers has regrettably Myers had regrettably not worked with her in more productions also, she survived being shot, which I think is just kind of kick-ass. Oh, that's amazing. In general. I think it's really interesting, especially since this episode and the last episode were kind of talking about the decline and death of the Hayes Code, how you can go from, like, the 1950s and, like, Mrs. Cleaver... To the 1960s and, um, like, literally women driving cars killing dudes. It's such a big shift in my mind to take place over, like, one decade. 
I'd like to um, elaborate. She was not shot on this set. This was like a later incident. <laughs> just for I know record. you got shot, kid, but just keep shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, like the decline of the Hayes Code, a lot of people got away with a lot more than they did like at the beginning in the middle during like it's sort of like heyday. It's kind of interesting to see kind of like everything seep through in a way. But um, it also should be mentioned a lot of the cult films, I'm not sure about this one, but uh, a lot of cult films would just be like, they would rent out a theater and show that. Uh, Castle did that a lot. Um, And they would just like show it and get like all the profit from it. And just like keep showing it for like a week and take all that profit to use in their next film. Um, That's why they call them grindhouses, right? Because mm-hmm. they would literally just grind out movies for profit. Yeah, it's very cheap, sort of, uh, very cheap, very fast, very low budget, and like high profit. Um, so the ne- so the next girl uh, played by Haji, we need to explain a little bit. So Haji plays Rosie, the other brunette of the trio, uh, the one with the Italian. French accent, uh, but ha- Haji herself is half British and half Filipino, so it's kind of like uh, Mario Mario from Super Mario. <laughs> Mario Mario and his brother Luigi Mario. <laughs> so, what y'all think of Rosie and her like place within the main trio? She's a badass. I wish they had given her more cool stuff to do other than, like, complain about her friends and look angry all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Looks angry in Italian. (laughs) She definitely was playing into the uh, ethnic of the trio stereotype of being... Mostly in the background, but then having iconic, like, looks and a few, like, standout moments. But mostly the interaction was between the other two. She's like Devin Aoki in, um... Debs? In Debs, yeah, exactly. Like, she's there, she's ethnic, and her skirt is the shortest. (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) She did do a really good job of portraying sexual tension between uh, her and uh, Val. Uh, what's her name? <laughs> I'm bad with names right now. Varla? But main Var- Yes, her. Uh, for like the first two thirds of the movie until uh, suddenly she decides, no, I hate you entirely and I'm going to turn against you and get stabbed in the back by you. <laughs> That's, okay, that's a good point. I wonder how this, like, unlikely friend group of people who obviously hate each other even formed in the first place. Well, they're all go-go dancers, right? Oh, yeah, go-go dancing is famously a solid um, friendship-making occupation. And one of four occupations allowed to for women to have back in those days. 
You can be a teacher, a nurse, or a go-go dancer. Those I are like the three it. options. Just as an aside, I thought that part was kind of hilarious, and I don't know if it was, like, making fun of, like, this, because I think that was, like, the 60s was when they were moving out of those, like, oh, you could be a secretary, but that part in the beginning made me laugh so much, <laughs> where they were, like, you could be a, or if you have a secretary, or a receptionist, perhaps, or a go-go <laughs> dancer, like, ah, yes, the three professions <laughs> of a woman in the 50s. That yeah. jarring, that jarring cut. Too, it's just like my favorite thing in like the past month to be honest because it, it just like throws you into the movie and it's just like there you go have fun <laughs> and then like some there of the most go, jarring go, go. <laughs> some of the most jarring editing for like a go dancing sexy scene that I've seen or the really bad cutting between the soundstage driving close ups and then the stunt driver uh Driving along the desert roads. <laughs> let's just it's like let's they just... just put him in a car and then they had stage hands underneath, like jiggle, 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 jiggle. Yep. <laughs> They're like, wow, that girl really is driving. <laughs> That's how you did it back in the day, you know? I mean, they do, uh, Hitchcock did the same thing just with like back projection and I think like early blue screen. So last we have uh, Lori Williams as Billy, the blonde one. I love her. Uh, she's she's like way out for real, kind of like going with it. But she's so expressive with her body language. Um, so how did you like Billy before she got stabbed in the back? That was the joke from <laughs> the this, this summer. Yes. Yeah, um, I got it. <laughs> that joke was for real. <laughs> um, yeah, she's out of sight. She's the gas, fam. <laughs> groovy. Very groovy. I looked up her uh, credits on IMDb, and it's amazing how many films she was in before this movie, where she's literally credited as beach dancer, or dancing party goer, or like <laughs> just straight up dancing girl. Um... It seems like most of her career up until this point had been, like, background dancing in other movies, which makes sense why they got her to do this role, right? The mm-hmm. the girl who's, like, they described her as, like, Lady Godiva, right? <laughs> yes, they did, right at the beginning. <laughs> I was going to say, just to throw down my nerd card, uh... She looks like she's a companion to uh, Doctors 1 or 2. <laughs> yeah, she kind of does. <laughs> yup. <laughs> I, re- I really love just, like, she like if we had three serious, like, main characters, like, super serious, I think it wouldn't have the kind of dynamic they have. And I just really love her for just, like, she seems both out of it all the time and completely in control. I want to say one of the things that I really liked about her is just, like, the, like, overly heavy usage of 60s lingo. Like, within the context of this film made them seem, like... Made it kind of seem like a gangster movie. <laughs> it really did. It really did. 
I'm glad I'm not the only one. I would have been really embarrassed if y'all were like, this is a gangster movie? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that was last week. <laughs> um, so we have Linda, the girlfriend. She's kind of boring. Don't care about her. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Hey, at uh, least she survives to the end of the movie. It's at true. Le- <laughs> at least her boyfriend was kind of hot besides the outfit. Um, also, speaking of her boyfriend, though, really quickly, can I just point out that, like, douchey frat boy fashion has apparently not changed since 1965? <laughs> and apparently... Right? And apparently neither has, like, <laughs> like old, decrepit, backwood republicanism either. Apparently, oh. yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How much did y'all hate the uh, surviving boy hero that she ends up with? Oh, you mean Kirk? Yes. The quote-unquote smart brother? (laughs) Quote-unquote. You know, he's the only one with a freaking, like, fan club around the time. And I'm like, who? I want a a list. I really do. Give me a... Someone give me a list of the members of his fan club, please. He was so cringy in every single scene he was in. <laughs> he's just... Mm, so... He's, uh, he gives off yeah. really, like, typical man vibes. Like, sleep with the evil one and then, like, call her out in the next scene and be like, wow, you're really fucking twisted. <laughs> So we have like the smart brother, but like it feels like the family that they go to that they're trying to steal the money from feels like kind. The brothers at least feel extremely stereotypical because you have like the smart, uh, shorter, or skinny brother, and then you have like the bigger, kind of mute or dumb, like strong brother. You know that carries a father mm-hmm. everywhere. Things. I may not think talk or do good, but man, at least I have muscle. <laughs> you know, I think Big Blonde and Beautiful like is he's 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 good to look at. I'm I'm okay with this. It's like Rocky from Rocky Horror. I was about like, to say it sounds like we're talking about Rocky. <laughs> it's like I'm okay with this. Um, I kind of don't like how they didn't give him a name because that implies that he was like this from birth. Yeah, I wasn't quite certain what his backstory was because there seemed to be something where the dad was saying he killed the mother, but I couldn't quite follow along. I didn't have captions in uh, the one I was viewing and that made it hard for me to follow some of the dialogue. I think what it it was was... is like... No, go ahead. No, no, no. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> he so he was a real like potato of a baby and apparently killed mom on the way out is what happened. Yeah, that's what I gathered from it as well. Okay. And like a bitter old man, he just never got over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could tell that that the old man wasn't uh over the death of the mother, but yeah. I, couldn't quite follow, so thank you for clarifying. So the yeah. old man's played by Stuart Lancaster, who was kind of a Myers regular. Um, it's kind of interesting how like they portray him like in the beginning versus like who he actually is 
Like, because in the beginning he's portrayed as, like, in control, and then Kirk shows up and it turns out, oh, wait, he's actually, like, not the one in control of the family, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just dusty and crusty and bitter and, and Republican. And mm-hmm. pervy! <laughs> so pervy. Man. It's kind of interesting that that the main characters can be seen as villains, but the family can be seen as villainier. Is that it? That's not a word. <laughs> More villainous? <laughs> More villainous. Like, in some aspects, just because of how they treat each other. What, what do you mean he perved on Linda? Disregarding the fact that he was holding a shotgun at the time, he was obviously stuck in a wheelchair. He has no power over that situation. <laughs> Again, disregard the shotgun. Yeah, we don't know how the little bits of cloth from Linda's clothing ended up in his hand. We don't see it happening. And if you don't see it, it never happened. Much like my last relationship. Ah! Uh, Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, actually, one of the things that I'm really interested about is the percentage of persons dead in this movie is pretty high compared to what we see around the time of, like, the Hays Code. It's partially because of, like, the smaller cast, but still, like, there's a pretty nice body count. Um, yeah, yeah, two like people a, survive. Two, like a like a slasher esque almost death count. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've seen slasher films where fewer people die. <laughs> uh, I think there's Elm Street too. Yes, Elm Street too. <laughs> <laughs> Which we watched for this podcast, by the way, in season one. You should go check it out. We have a season one, oh my god. Um, my other big complaint, or, sorry, my big complaint about this film, like, kind of in general, is it, it just kind of ends. Speaking of, like, the two people surviving, like, it, it feels like it just, it ends as abruptly as it starts. To me, mm-hmm. at least. No, I, I feel that. It's like, oh, they killed her. Linda run her over. Um... Okay, I guess that's how they're going to do it. And then it's over. Yeah, I was surprised that they went through all that train talk and then never had anybody get run over by a train. I know, I was really thinking that was what was going to end up happening when she was literally running down the train tracks. They probably <laughs> They probably could not afford the train because this only had a $45,000 budget. Um... So in comparison, in the same year, a movie about a blind white girl who learns not to be racist with the help of her one black friend, Sidney Poitier, was released uh, with an $800,000 budget and made over $6 million and won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, and you didn't know that existed until I just told you about it. But like 45000 pretty cheap. Probably couldn't afford the train rights. Yeah. That's fair. Makes sense. I wanted to yeah, God forbid you just though. set up a camera by the train track. 
I mean, you have to get permission from, to like, catch the, a train. <laughs> you have to get permission from like the the train owners and stuff like that to use it in your film. Use use license free stock footage. It's fine. Uh, and yeah. if you don't yeah. if you don't get permission from the train itself, then you have to blur it out. <laughs> <laughs> But I wanted to see a train run over at least one person, especially once they started all running down the tracks. Well, if okay, you think so here's about what we're it, we're gonna do is we're gonna remake this movie. All right, not an idea we've never had before on this podcast. <laughs> oh man, how if, original! If you think about it, Varla's tongue is kind of like a train. Um, how? Yeah, uh, there have actually been some attempts to adapt or remake this, including an entire TV series that was announced in 2021. Um, what are some things that you hope get changed or improved if it does actually, like, get remade? More lesbians. Mm-hmm. More <laughs> lesbians, bloodier deaths. Trains. More campiness. I know it's already really campy to a satisfying <laughs> level, but even more campiness. There's I not just, a lot of blood in this now that I think about it. I just really yeah, need a not. train. I desperately want a train. Like, actual train running people over and not just train making the quote-unquote brute brother go <laughs> mad. Right? I need train on car violence. Yes. <laughs> That's the only way. Well, what? Didn't she drive on the train tracks? Does that. She did, count? yes. No. Yeah. Okay. And nobody That's... ran her over with the train. <laughs> you just cut You just cut back first. I guess just like, boom! <laughs> through the car. And like everyone dies. Uh, <laughs> need the truck getting stuck on the train tracks so that. It cannot get off as the train's coming, and the pe- two people running along the train tracks, jumping to either side, getting split up by the train, and the train hitting the truck and killing Varla. Like, that's what we need as, like, yes. the end of season one. I agree. I agree. Let's freaking spam. What's his name that's remaking it? I just looked this up. <laughs> Norman Reedus. Let's spam Norman Reedus's. Residents with fan mail requesting this. Um, for legal reasons, we do not uh, uh, recommend or endorse spamming people with emails. Yes, for legal purposes, that is a joke. <laughs> Leave no, Norman Reedus alone. He's human. And mail it to his address instead of doing uh, electronic mail because That's they can true. more easily ignore it. <laughs> uh, for legal yeah. reasons, that's just a suggestion, and I'm not telling you to do it. <laughs> we are not experts, all right? <laughs> so, so besides the train, which character do you feel you want to see more of as, like, in characteristics or execution or just as a personality? Hot take, but I want to see the dead boyfriend actually have more of a personality and a reason to hate him before he gets killed. I agree. I think there's a lot to work with there, just based on what he looks like, like, clothing-wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did drive I, his girlfriend to the desert in a bikini. I, I would love, like, uh, like, uh, 
What are you talking about, Linda? He was obviously being bad to you, and we saved you from a situation. But I love him! <laughs> kind of dynamic. <laughs> yes, we need that. Yes. So here's, here's one of the fun questions I don't get to ask that often. Do you think you could make this film, practically speaking? Do you think I can make this film? Yeah. Well, I mean, I oh, don't see why not. Three out of four of us are very New Mexico adjacent. <laughs> you can find a lot it's, of flat space. Guys, you out can there drive. drive <laughs> it's only a one day drive for me to get over there. Let me put it another way. When we were talking about uh, Yeti, a love story, uh, Amelia's favorite film so far um, on this podcast. So good. <laughs> One of the one of the best things we could say about it was it made you feel like you could make a film, like you could go out and make a film after watching this, uh, and make a interesting film. So this this film kind of feels like even though like it had like forty five thousand dollars at the time, you could easily like go out with some friends over a weekend to the desert, um, or Galveston, both work, um, and you know, kind of just make something like this. I mean, it's no Yeti a love story because that movie was unhinged. But, <laughs> I mean, it does kind of have that same vibe. Yeah, there was you... like, what, three locations total mm -hmm. in the entire movie? And, uh, yeah, if you have good quality actors among your friends... I don't see why it couldn't be done in a home production way. I wish I had more friends. <laughs> um. I wish I had more centrally located friends. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the problem. I mean, New Mexico is kind of between me and the rest of y'all. Let's go. <laughs> Lord knows, nobody's ever made a film in New Mexico before. <laughs> gonna, I hear, it's a, gonna, I hear uh, New Mexico is a great place to open a restaurant. Oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw yes, someone a white boy going out to New Mexico to open a restaurant. No wonder he failed. Okay, yeah, but, okay. Since you've brought this up, what is it with, like... White boys in New York in musicals singing about... Okay, Tom Collins is not white. Let me take that back. What is it about <laughs> gay New York boys in musical singing love songs about fucking Santa Fe like it's the shit? It's because Santa Fe is always seen like as this land of enchantment, you know... Are you tired there? of there being traffic outside of your window at one o'clock in the morning? You need to oh. go somewhere where everybody falls asleep at eight thirty. <laughs> you know, all the artists go there and like open galleries, or have their parents pay for them to open galleries. You know, one of those two options. Um, all like, of a sudden, you feel like a fatal attraction to turquoise, and you just have to be near it. And then you like 
you know, hypothetically live in Santa Fe for about a decade because you were dating someone seriously and trying to make it work. And, you know, we're really committed to them even if they weren't committed to you. So you just kind of stay there for a while and then you get a therapist because it turns out that you're abusing drugs and you didn't realize it because, like, they're called painkillers. They're not called physical painkillers, so you're just using them for your depression. Uh, and you get a therapist who's like, yeah, jump that fucking asshole. And so you do. And that's Santa Fe. Hypothetically. <laughs> and then you buy a bolo tie because, quote, I just think they look neat. <laughs> With the turquoise, like, little sitter. And all of a sudden, you have a ponytail, and you're talking about how the youth just aren't the same like they used to be. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway, I know, like, five of them. <laughs> Anyway, like, tangent over. <laughs> this, is, this was not about this movie, but I'm glad we had a chance to talk about this. This is about NATO's new musical coming to you soon. <laughs> NATO's Santa new Bay. musical. I did open up a restaurant in Santa Fe. It was not a good time, Tom Collins. <laughs> wow, this musical seems oddly autobiographical, NATO. <laughs> Almost everything. They do say to write what you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! I I remember I had this writing teacher who was like, "Never write about yourself," and I'm just like, "Okay, I'll write about someone else who incidentally also hates this place." (laughs) Yeah, meet my meet my new main character. Flato Critch. <laughs> Potato Sounds Hitch. Sounds like every new person commenting for the first time on r slash polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This post is not about me, but a friend whose name is <laughs> Check Smudge Handwriting on Hand Schmo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this this movie is definitely up to interpretation, but I, the big question that I kind of have that I asked poorly at the beginning of this is, is this actually a queer film, or did I just want an excuse to have a podcast episode on this? The, the second one. <laughs> yeah, definitely the second one, although I see how they could have laid groundwork for, like, later, more queerer mm-hmm. Grindhouse films, uh, this one, no, is that queer. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely the second one, but also I can see how queers back in the day adored this movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god, three ladies with lots of cleavage rolling around in the sand and committing murders. <laughs> <laughs> This I is mean, just like Madonna. Might have been queer for the 60s, but like nowadays, yeah. <laughs> Madonna <laughs> released a coffee table book with her full on tits out. <laughs> like. And, and banging the lies. <laughs> you, know, you know Madonna pegs. Oh, Madonna yeah. definitely. Oh, pegs. absolutely. Much like I assume all three girls in this movie do. 
Madonna's <laughs> got like no, I'm the top energy. <laughs> I remember. Okay, some... I don't know if Billy pegs, but she definitely enjoys watching it. <laughs> Speaking of which, I, I think I think we we summed everything up. We talked a pretty good amount about this film and also about things that hypothetically happened and certainly did not happen for real. Um, so I think that <laughs> we should sum this up. Uh, Ro, does this movie make you want to go-go or make you want to kill-kill? Um, both. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, this is a great movie. I think, like, even, like, five minutes into the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna really enjoy this. And it really didn't disappoint. (laughs) Christ, did FPKK make you want to make out with someone only to find out where their money is hidden, or watch someone else make out with someone you have a crush on in order to find out where their money is hidden. I think the most important thing is I want to find out where the money is hidden. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but gonna... no, I would watch this movie again, and I will show it to my friends. It was exactly what I wanted out of a 60s camp movie that is got the reputation that it has. Like... I enjoyed it. It was everything I wanted it to be. Well, I wanted it to be queer, but that's okay. <laughs> Can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes. Actually, that brings up a, a fun fact that I didn't get to throw in until now. The B-52s have a song called Funplex that references this movie where they say, Faster Pussycat, Thrill, Thrill. Um, and I really like that song. Gotta love love the B-52s. Amelia, did this movie make you want to name your offspring just The Vegetable, or are you going to be more creative and call them Vegeta? Uh, Oh, God, please do not give my boyfriend ideas. (laughs) I'm literally shaking my head right now. (laughs) I couldn't resist. I just saw the movie at the end with my partner. Do you know how much he loved the Dragon Ball movie? (laughs) (laughs) Vegeta is short Um, for vegetable I I would not in fact name my children Vegetable or Vegeta uh, But I do want to make this movie uh, A movie night movie with my friends Like I would absolutely like Just have some drinks You know Smoke some funny tea And just like (laughs) Watch this movie (laughs) I would love to get drunk and watch this again. <laughs> or yes. a few other films uh, that are coming out. <laughs> so if my notes are just like complete misspellings, you know what happened. Um, anyway, that's what we think. But if you've seen this movie or end up watching it later, we'd love to hear your thoughts and your experience with it. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GagPod. That's G-A-Y-E-C-A-P-O-D. While you're there, why not suggest a movie for so much to the future? We're always looking for new suggestions, and we can't wait to experience more movies with you. I'm Nito Kitsch, reminding you to step on me, blonde daddy. Hold on, be right back. I'm gonna get my very loud I'm and ethnically ambiguous girlfriends and go, go run over old Republicans for money. <laughs> <laughs>